This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Treasury Department's Bureau of the Fiscal Service sees an opportunity to catch up after spending much of the pandemic getting payments out to the public. In a letter to the agency's financial staff, agency executives say they're looking to disperse nearly all payments electronically by 2030 and to flag more improper payments and modernize the data. For more, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with Commissioner Tim Gribben. As part of this future readiness assessment, we were also we embarked on a workforce assessment. So our current challenges and, and how do we respond to that? Well, well one of it is that we're doing competency assessments of employees. So we identify those skills that we need. So when I talked about some of the trends in the future and and one of the trends when we talk about predictive government, well, we need people that understand enterprise data analytics. So using that as an example, then we develop competency assessments to determine where are we on the maturity level of being able to provide enterprise data analytics and then identifying those gaps and the skills gaps and then working on the training and what we need to do in order to close those gaps. So there's a whole bunch of things more than just training, but there's mentorship. It also gives us the indication of where we need to attract new talent into the organization. We have the technology now to be able to accommodate remote work by being able to open up the opportunities for remote workers. We rely less on the geographic boundaries that we had set up for ourselves based on our seven locations. And so when I look at the skill sets that we need in the future and two positions in particular, I talk about data analytics and all of the other positions surrounding that, like data scientists. The other one is around, of course, cybersecurity. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about that. That that is the ongoing threat. We we always have to be ahead of the curve. And there's a it's tough to be in the government and compete in the private sector for cybersecurity professionals. We believe that some of those in-demand skills that we can solve through expanded telework opportunities by hiring in multiple locations, being able to provide the ability for someone to get certified. And maybe they're not, they don't enter into the job certified for a job like cybersecurity or data analytics, but we can provide that opportunity to employees and using the flexible hiring that we do have within the government to the maximum extent possible. These all seem like pretty powerful recruiting incentives, I guess. Yeah. And the other thing that I always have been talking about is the diversity of the workforce and that we achieve better results. We achieve better performance when we are a more inclusive and diverse organization. And I think it's eight or nine months ago, could have been longer, actually it was longer, probably more than a year ago. I formed an employee inclusion action committee. It's a committee that's chaired by an employee and staffed by employees and looking at what are some of those impediments to hiring, to retaining employees that we have within the organization? How do we become more inclusive and diverse so that uh, we are a more attractive place to work because we reflect the population uh, more at large than maybe we did a few years ago? Has that task force kind of narrowed in on any kind of those impediments that they are studying, or is that still a, a work in progress? It's still a work in process. They did a uh, an assessment of the organization. We had a company that came in and, and helped facilitate some of the discussions with employees, and they're working on the action plan now. Because what I said, the end goal of the action committee is to come up with a plan that we can actually put into place. And it's not one of those things where we 
put it on a shelf and we check the box like say we're more inclusive because we did this. No, we're more inclusive because we're finding out what our impediments are and what we're going to do to tackle them. And some of it has to do with uh, how we do our hiring and how we can use some more of the modern techniques to hire. This group is helping us break down those geographic boundaries and the pandemic also helped us realize that we could hire people. And for instance, we might have a job where most of the employees are here in DC or in Parkersburg, West Virginia, but now in the future, we can hire them in, in our other locations or some potentially remote locations. Let's maybe delve into some of the specific action items that we're seeing in this latest CFO letter. A lot of pretty ambitious goals that the Bureau is setting for itself. What specific steps is the Bureau taking to make nearly all treasury dispersed payments electronic by 2030? And to maybe zoom out there, what are some of the benefits of moving to a nearly all electronic disbursement of payments? Oh, sure. Yeah, that, that specifically is one of the goals that I articulate in the CFO letter because it is, well, they're all important, but we learned the importance, as I said previously, through the distribution of the economic impact payments and also currently what we're doing with the child tax credits. The steps that we're taking to reduce the reliance on paper checks is one working with the IRS, which is the number one producer of paper checks. And, and that is a stemming from the way people file their taxes and how they say they want to get their refunds. We've formed a coalition of the largest check producing agencies. So we, the no check coalition is what we call it. We're all working on what do we do? How do we educate consumers, the citizens in the value of paper checks? There's some people who still believe that getting that paper check is is more secure when actually it's not. So our data shows that electronic transactions much more more secure and less prone to fraud than paper checks. So some of the ways that we're doing that uh, is also modernizing, we're working on right now modernizing our payment systems, making them more modern and resilient. And uh, as part of that is incorporating the the various digital payment options that exist. I, I mentioned Venmo is one of them. Uh, right now we're set up where we have to uh, negotiate with each of the fintech payment platforms. Uh, we're working now on a solution that allows us to have one payment system and then be able to tie in multiple payment methods uh, and even ones that don't even exist yet. So those are there are a number of strategies behind how we go electronic. The benefits that we're trying to communicate is, well, first of all, as I said, it's more secure. It's faster. So rather than having to wait for a check to be produced, which takes time, and to mail, which takes time, and to cash at a bank, which takes time, it's faster. It's also cheaper. So when we talk about government resources, it's a lot cheaper to produce electronic payments than paper checks. And um, that also reduces the carbon footprint. So when we talk about the climate uh, effects that, that producing paper has on the climate that directly uh, contributes to uh, this administration's goal on climate. And then it, I think it also provides a better payment experience for citizens when they have that immediate access to their money. Uh, it also, from a security standpoint, it we've shown that it results in fewer post-payment issues. So I didn't receive my check. Where is it? Those things, It's it's a lot easier to track electronic than paper. Tim Gribben, Commissioner of the Treasury Department's Bureau of the Fiscal Service, speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving 
our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about, but that's should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me, and I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day, and I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop, and he would focus on me, and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and 
how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author, she turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. 
Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Everything's getting more expensive these days. Gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash best music to get Live One Plus now. Winter season is here, and Discount Tire wants you to stay safe on the road. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online at DiscountTire.com. Discount Tire, let's get you taken care of.